Hey everyone, how's uh, your weekend going and your week? This is uh, Monday, we're just getting back into daily cyber and just everything that's been going on. Uh, just a lot of changes happening in the industry, especially when it comes to COVID. I know in Ontario, we're going back into a lockdown again uh, for 28 days. So there's a lot of changes going on, a lot of things happening there. So companies are looking at, you know, transitioning, what to do through the, you know, this next kind of phase of locking down. Uh, some companies are affected and we're looking at uh, stores are affected, hotels, you know, hospitality, restaurants, uh, gyms, all types along uh, along that line. I know there's a fines going on, so a lot happening in the industry. Uh, today, I have uh, my buddy Neil Bridges on the on uh, the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of things going on with the industry and what's happening. So, grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and social mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. Hey, Neil, how's things going? Oh, amazing, Brandon. Thanks for having me on again. So how how are you doing through the the pandemic? I mean, you know, I I it's it's hard to say, right? Because it, you know, you 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 start to think that everything's going really well, and then you start to pay attention to you know news and case numbers and 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 all sorts of stuff, and you 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 just you you know it starts to make you wonder like how things are going. I mean, businesses are changing the way they work. They're they're deciding that they're all going to be work from home, or they're you know they can't wait to to get back into the office and. You know, then you've got, you know, you know, it's hard because you've got a lot of folks who are like, hey, we should go back to, to doing things normally. And I've got a lot of vendors that are calling me up and like, hey, I want to go to dinner. Let's go to these events and things like that. And so it's 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 hard because it's almost like, um, you know, the, the world, the world doesn't want to accept, you know, this definition of a, of a new normal. Uh, at the same time, it's uh, it's it's hard not to realize what's going on in the world around us when it comes to to the pandemic and the COVID and everything. So it's uh, it's interesting to watch the world unfold around us on a, on a day to day basis. I think cyber is still, you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't know what 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 it is that you sh you're seeing, but it's like it's cyber is trying to you know move 100 miles an hour when it comes to to adapting to COVID as well and all the things that are going on. Well, you know, one of the challenges that we're finding is that in Ontario, we're going back into another lockdown, another phase, mm -hmm. right? And then they also put a, a fine that if you're a, a group of 10 or more people, the person that's hosting that event, doesn't matter if it's a house or it's an actual business event, whatever that may be, now potentially can be fined $10,000 plus every person that attends now can get fined $750. 
That's interesting. That I've heard of I've heard of uh, certain fines going out for people who organize events. I haven't heard of anything, you know, any fines for for also the participants in said event too. That's pretty interesting. Well, I think right now they're trying to reduce the actual groups and congregation of people. I mean, yeah. we're finding with uh, university students. I mean, they all went back to school and they were all yeah. kind of in dorms and things like that. So they're all commuting. I know uh, a couple of my friends were watching football this weekend. They were talking about in the stands how, you know, they were letting so many people into the stands, but then what happens again, they were congregating. So they, they were getting yeah. like clumps of people versus trying to socially distance. So I think this is their process and system of trying to, you know, separate people. Now this is only in Canada for the fines, but I'm, I think I th- as this progresses and if it keeps getting worse, I think you're going to see it more and more. I think, uh, I mean, I, I think you can see, and I don't know if this is just like a new inflection point because of, you know, the fact that we've been in this for, you know, almost nine or 10 months now. But I think what you're starting to see is maybe just a little bit of a broader scale, massive amount of rebellion where, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you're seeing it as well, but like you go out shopping or something like that and, you know, you've got the, DX is on the floor where you're supposed to stand six feet apart from each other, you know, and, uh, and, and I've seen like people start to like, you know, push those boundaries a little bit. Like, like I'm getting sick and tired of standing six feet apart from everybody in line. And so they just, they don't think about it anymore. And so I'm, I'm actually really starting to wonder if like, you know, we're, we're reaching a humanity point where people are just going to naturally start to rebound, you know, or rebel against uh, uh, a lot of the COVID stuff. And I think what's going to happen at that point is that, it's going to be this, like you said, it's going to be this yo-yo, in my opinion, that they're going to do it, they're going to rebel, and then something's going to happen. One of the family members, something's going to happen personally to them that someone gets COVID, and they're going to have to go through the challenges. All of a sudden, they're going to go the other way. They're going to not go to stores. They're going to go kind of that rebound where it's like, I almost give the equivalent of, you know, when kids go to university. You know, when you yeah. go to, you know, you're at home, you're kind of, you're following the rules, and you go to university, and you go wild, Right go drinking you go partying and you go all that way and then you have to find the happy medium because you're paying for school and you want to get you know education but you come back to a happy medium where you do still party a little bit but your school work's important but generally the first year from what i've heard from university students is that yeah the first year is generally a write-off right because they start partying they're away from home they got this all the freedom now and i think i would equate it to that where you're probably seeing these people are so restricted feeling so restricted like you said, they're going to kind of rebel, go against it, and then something's going to happen. Like I've been hearing more and more uh, as I call people and connect with people about people saying like, you know, a friend or a family member's got it. It's been diagnosed with it, with yeah. COVID, and, you know, they have to stay home for 14 days. And fortunately, there's nothing, you know, it's not severe, but they're not feeling well. They're, they're feeling sick. But now they have to kind of have isolation. So I think, the, yeah, I think we're still trying to figure this out. Yeah, I think... Uh- I, I, it's interesting as well. Like, I think there's, I think there's the, the, you know, how's everybody doing personally when it comes to COVID, but I think watching the world change around us and, and, you know, you know, I, I think that you, you see a lot of companies trying to decide what their identity is in COVID right now and, and how, what are their ways of working and how are they actually going to be, you know, successful in their workforce. And I think, uh, you know, I think when you realize it, it's not just like at the personal level, but going to the grocery store every day and how do you deal with COVID, you know, going to the grocery store, but it's trickling all the way up to, you know, to, to, you know, local governments and corporations and, and even nations trying to figure out how it is that, that they're going to, I haven't traveled since COVID. I, you know, last, you know, since I've been out of the military in 2013, you know, I've, I've been on planes, you know, since being out of the military and I haven't sat foot on a plane since I got back from RSA in February. Right. And, uh, 
you know, I don't even know that I would know how to travel, you know, during COVID, you know, with everything that's going on. Right. And you think about that, you're in a plane, if someone has it and doesn't know, right, not intentionally, but doesn't, you know, maybe he's not feeling well or maybe just a carrier. And now you're in this, you know, tube full of people yeah. that, you know, shared air, all that. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah, I haven't traveled since I've gone to kind of local family events that are smaller. Yeah. You know, uh, my mother-in-law, stuff like that. And it's just kind of four of us and kind of, you know, again, socially distanced, but we're around. But other than that, I haven't really done much traveling, all that. And, and I think hearing people too, like they cancel their vacations, they cancel kind of their normal yearly or annually trip with the family and what they do. And now it's, what do we do? I mean, now we're coming up to Christmas, right? And I had a family meeting yesterday on, on Zoom and we were talking about like, so what's everyone doing for Christmas, right? And you know, the, the question back is, what can we do? Yeah. Normally we have like a boxing day party and a big event and, you know, 60 to 70 people show up, but it's like, no, we can't do it this year. So what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's going to, it's going to continue to be interesting. I've, I've told, uh, I've told lots of folks that I've talked to from like a mentorship perspective and a lot of the groups that I, that I talk to on stream, it's like, you know, that, that you're talking about right there leads to mental stress, you know, on top of just the mental stress that we have in cybersecurity from like a, you know, a, a job work perspective that you have to take, you have to realize that that's adding fuel to the fire and take the requisite time that you need to, to be sane in this industry. So let's talk about a little bit about that. I mean, I mean, we're talking about and everyone's watching this and hearing about the COVID and what, what we're thinking about, but what's your thoughts on cybersecurity and when it comes to business and what's going on with the companies right now? Cause I know we went through, I would say a dip at first where all the companies yeah. now are like the house is on fire. We have to change. Then they started to pick up again, saying, okay, now since we've changed everything, we've transitioned to VPN and cloud and our staff is all remote and doing all this. And now they're starting to lock everything down. And now we're going to keep going through this yo-yo effect. I feel that, yeah. you know, now it's okay. We're getting up, we're getting going again. Then we're locking back down. We're getting up and going in. Then we're locking back down. I think, um, I think the biggest thing that, that, that I see the industry contend with is, um, you know, we were forced during that house was on fire phase, right. That was going on to, um, to, to lock a whole bunch of stuff down and to try to implement security postures that, you know, were probably on a roadmap or a plan for like the years prior. Right. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden now, like you, you get forced to push those into place. Actually, one of the things that I've seen and talked to, to folks about is, um, they were those those controls and whatnot like MFA or you know you know adding VPN concentrators to support remote workload or mm -hmm. you know things like that didn't go through you know like a real holistic you know architectural design review process and so it was really just kind of like go forth and and do it right um, and and so they're they're actually kind of going back and saying okay well if we had had you know all this time to plan this out and architect it where did we have gaps where did we miss where did we you know you know, screw this up, you know, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, and then there's still obviously places where those controls aren't working. When you look at just the massive amount of ransomware attacks that are, you know, being reported on almost a, a daily, if not weekly basis now, um, you know, with, with people who clearly didn't, you know, lock down their remote desktop protocol or were forced to open up their remote desktop protocol to facilitate remote work. So right. I, I think, I think, most companies cybersecurity posture is still in utter state of flux because we've never been thrust into 
this level of chaos when it comes to trying to implement controls. I don't think anybody knows what to do. So what would you recommend? What's the first thing they should look at? I mean, I think your your external attack surface is really kind of the biggest thing because it's like, you know, the, the attackers know that you have to allow your users onto your network somehow, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's VPN infrastructure or Citrix or remote desktop protocol or something like that. Um, and you're going, you know, they know that you're going to make it as easy as possible for your users to to access that external, you know, infrastructure. And and so first and foremost thing that I would look to do is is locking down all of those ways that your users get onto your network to start working. MFA is still hands down. I mean, you get so much mileage, you get so much mileage against hack attacks by implementing MFA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about this. So Saturday, um, I had the uh, the CTO and co-founder of Expanse uh, on the stream, and he was talking about how, um, from an attack surface management perspective, right? Um, you know, MFA. It doesn't matter whether you talk about like uh, uh, SMS spoofing or um, you know any of the other types of attacks that come along with with um, you know with uh, you know SMS based authentication or you're using the app on your phone and things like that. Those are very very like one percent mm-hmm. type of attacks. When MFA on literally all of your attack surface is literally the biggest investment that you could make and, and for pennies on the dollar it gets you so much mileage and so it's like i just encourage people you know we know that you're out there with you know you know you know rdp and citrix and vpn open to the internet for your workforce to work and so is the attacker and the attacker is looking for that stuff on on a regular basis for sure like lock down those attack surfaces now I got Rod. Rod made a comment, 100%, and companies are hesitant to spend any more money as they don't know what, what tomorrow brings. Thanks, Rod, for the comment. Now, if anyone is actually watching this, if you guys want to comment, jump over to YouTube. There's actually a chat on the side. I'm actually watching it, and you, we can engage. And if you have any comments or any questions for us, let us know. So, I mean, I hear you talking a lot about uh, two-factor authentication, right, and, you know, adding that in. Uh, I know when I was... Uh, with another company, we were selling uh, true passwordless decentralized authentication, which was kind of that next step up, which we use kind of more of the phone right, versus yeah. just kind of 2FA, which actually used the phone, the phone chip, and a decentralized password. So I think, like you said, using that really get looks up the security maturity. So now we're looking at kind of 2FA, some of the technologies. What about like their posture, their like policies, procedures, you know, compliance? Would you recommend they review those at this point? I mean, I always do. I, I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think I, I don't, I don't downplay, you know, some of the softer works side of, um, of, of, you know, your, your attack surface and, and was it, was it Rod who had the, the, the comment in, in, in chat, yeah. you know, um, you know, I think, I, I think companies are hesitant to spend some money. Um, but I think companies also understand that they are more vulnerable now than they were pre-COVID. Um, and if they don't, then I think that that's, that's potentially a failure on either the security leadership team or the right amount of, you know, whoever's advising some of those companies to understand that you're more vulnerable now. Um, I think one of the conversations that I like to have around that, right, is, you know, we used to always joke in the industry, and I think you and I have talked about this, Brandon, kind of on the side a little bit, right, is we've always joked in the industry about how big the attack surface is because you've got BYOD and 
you're traveling all over the globe. This was pre-COVID, obviously, and things like that. Right. And and I think that that was a really fun, you know, conversation topic to have with folks about. Do you really know how big your attack surface is with BYOD and things like that? Right. I think now with COVID, like we we have really gone into you know a real world version of how big is your attack surface. Um, and, and I think helping an organization understand um, just how big their attack surface is. And then to your point, what are the people, processes, and technology, you know, that are going into protecting uh, that attack surface, I think should be almost a security team's, you know, number one focus if it hasn't been for the last nine months is understanding your attack surface. Right. Yeah, because the reason why I had that conversation is because I'm um... – I'm assuming, and if some from some of my conversations is, a lot of the people are using the technology, right? They're, they're transferring their technology. They're you know integrating these systems. They're doing all that, but then when it comes back to you know the painstaking task of going through the documentation, you know business continuity, disaster yeah. recovery, incident response, kind of all these different documentations, it's we'll do it after. We got to get this done now. We got to yeah. get up and going. We got to get business continuity. We'll look over and review that later. And I think it has to be done in tangent at the same time because as you're updating, you have to review it, make sure. I mean, I've I've talked to some people where you know their MSP is no longer in business, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's part of their disaster recovery, it's part of their instant response plan. And then you know something goes down and they start to call. Well, the number's not disconnected or the person's not there. Now what do you do? Now you're jumping around trying to find an MSP to support you and getting them up to speed as fast as possible while trying to get your business back up and going. So I think reviewing that as we go, especially now, like now since things are slowly, they're slower. I'm not saying they're completely, you know, yeah. resolved, but they're slower now to go down through all that and have that review. And now if you don't have the team, like reach out to someone like myself or Neil and, and have that review now for going future. Because I think like what uh, Rod's saying is totally true is a lot of forecasting and budgetary concerns are going on right now because, you know, revenues are down. Uh, yeah. People are not as buying as much. So, in specific areas, some are, are going through the roof, but specific areas right now are slowing down. So now, where do you invest? Where do you kind of look at it protecting? Here's here's the what I what I think I would also kind of say on that same vein though is is right. When did COVID start? March, March. Uh, roughly March first, I think is when we're well, calling. Like, d- d- depends on which conspiracy site you're you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, if, if we generally agree that like March 1st is when, when COVID really started, right? right? Like hopefully leaders and security professionals and, and business, you know, um, business folks are, are having a ticket, you know, taking a step back and going, okay, maybe we're not at the first quarter or the second quarter of COVID, but we're probably at the halftime mark of COVID. So you can look at what you've done for the last, you know, nine months, if you will, um, you know, as, 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 you know, what you've done for COVID. And then look forward and say, okay, what did you learn from this? So to your point, you know, did you, did you go back and test the processes that you thought you had in place for business continuity? You know, did the tabletops that you ran for, um, you know, standing up some type of natural disaster and, you know, you know, continuity response or, you know, disaster recovery response, did that work out well? And if not, what are you changing to move forward? Right. You know, do you not have visibility into places that you thought you had visibility into and that you discovered over the last, you know, six to nine months that you didn't have visibility into? And so hopefully people are, you know, taking this and not saying, well, it'll be over sometime soon and taking a look at this and saying, okay, well, if we're at the halftime mark, let's look back on the first two quarters and see what we did right or wrong and then look forward to the next two quarters 
and say, okay, how do we, how do we improve and move forward? And I think you'll find then if you take that approach, you can't slow down your spending because there's probably things that you need to spend money on right. to protect your organization that, that you, you hesitated from spending money on in the first two quarters, you know, because you, you were uncertain as to how it was going, but you still have to spend money to protect your organization. Right. You know, now, now your priorities have just changed. Right. And I think you have to find cost effective ways of doing that. Right. And you have yeah, to kind totally. of re- reevaluate. And I agree. Like, it's not that you shut it all down, right? Cause Hey, we can't spend. It's now how do you be more efficient and larger organizations, enterprise environments are figuring out. I think this main conversation is more for the mid tier, right? Mid yeah. to large where they might not have that team. And they're, and they're, like you said, maybe their team is just burnt out, you know, yeah. 18, 20 hour days, right? And there might be two, maybe up to five analysts, like security analysts or professionals in their organization, or maybe it's just the IT guys. They're wearing both hats, right? And yeah. being able to do that, and they're just exhausted, right? They're trying to get everything up and going while still maintaining maintain the business and the IT, while doing security, trying to wear both hats. And you know, how do they do it all? I mean, again, you got to look at it this way. You know, the attackers aren't just going to say, "Oh, well, that that business is struggling," you know, financially, you know, and they can't hire new analysts or they can't hire new, you know, incident response folks or or security engineers or anything like that. So we shouldn't hit them with ransomware or anything like that. Oh, we. We know that they haven't had time or that they're strapped for cash and they don't want to spend the money on MFA. We just won't, we won't go after their RDP infrastructure. I literally just read an article um, that did just gotten released on one of the, the outlets that I check on a regular basis that outlined how, um, you know, one of the Ryuk malware ransomware, um, you know, attackers had gotten into this fortune, you know, organization and had gone in, you know, from a phishing email to ransomware on the entire domain in less than five hours. Right. Right. You know, attackers aren't stopping their attacks. And so if you fall into that trap that says, well, I don't know what's going to happen with revenue. So I'm going to stop investing in security. I'm going to stop protecting my organization. You might as well just put your passwords out there on your Facebook page and let the, let the attackers come right at your organization. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, it's interesting to kind of look at that right now. Like they don't give up. Like when you look at hackers or the criminal element or whatever that you want to kind of label them, identify them at, they're not giving up. In fact, this now becomes more interesting for them because they know all the security measures that were in place, which maybe were harder, right? Not impossible, but harder now Mm -hmm. have all been changed, all been Mm -hmm. modified. Companies are in a flux. So of course, when there's chaos, they're going to, I know this like for working physical security, when there's chaos, like a power outage goes on out. I know when I worked the Skydome, if there's a power outage, now you, you know sometimes your alarm systems, your locks and things like that are right. now not working. So now what do you have to do? You have to physically go and check every log. You have to physically make sure it's hardened. This is no different in that scenario using that sort, uh, type of principle. Now you have to manually go through each of your, your systems and your solutions to make sure everything's locked down. Well, the time to be able to do that and the resources you know, is, is a lot. And yeah. when these guys are 20 projects, 30 projects deep, you know, working 18 hour days, you know, things get missed. Things, you know, ha- happen. Remember the quintessential saying is right. It's not a matter of if you get hacked, it's a matter of when. Right. Right. And so now that we are now that we're in chaos, that when just, you know, exacerbates itself. Yeah. It went to like tomorrow, right. Versus yeah. when to in the next week or so. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's pretty crazy. Like when you really look at kind of the attack vector and everything that's happened and through COVID, I think it's really now shining a light off for companies. What is their essential assets? What is their security posture? What needs to be focused on right now? And 
I'm sure a lot of people were in the boardroom and having tough conversations. Yeah. I hope so. I hope they were in the boardroom. I mean, I think, I think that's good. And I hopefully hope, I hope if anybody's listening who did have those tough conversations, I hope they were able to walk away with some, um, you know, with some money or some direction to, to help make your, your, your posture more secure. I hope nobody walked away from the boardroom and let the, you know, let the board beat them up on, on cost and, and decided that security was the, the thing they could, uh, they could skimp away with. Right. And I think that comes back down to the discussion. And, and I think one thing I've been learning and, and having more conversations with professionals about was not the solution, but the business need and the business requirement. And I think, you know, if any cybersecurity professional, anyone's kind of watching this is talking about the actual business needs versus the actual technologies. And I'm just going to use like endpoint protection, two-factor authentication. If you're using Duo, right. Duo is right. the best thing. We need Duo right now. A lot of times when you look at the business, they don't care what's the business need. What do we need on the business side? Why is that going to help the business? And what's going to be, how is it going to be reducing risk over here and helping me save money over here? Right. And I think that's a conversation that a lot of uh, IT guys miss. I think we've, we've, we've struggled. I mean, you, I think you and I have also talked about this as, as well in the past, right? I think, I think we as an industry have constantly struggled with delivering business value, you know, in our conversations. Right. Um, and I think that that has hampered our conversation at the boardroom. Right. I think, I don't think anybody takes it seriously because we don't think about the business first. Right. Um, you know, so, but I, I think, I think, I think, I think, Maybe, maybe it's cynical of me and I'm okay admitting that, but you know, that's probably why nobody takes us seriously right now when we go back into that boardroom and say, now's the time to invest in cybersecurity, you know, because nobody took, you know, we didn't take business seriously in the, in the quarters leading up to this. Right. Now Rod made a comment here as uh, revenues are down. It's up to security professionals to build a case and try to convince leadership to spend money when there is no 100% solution. I think, I think that's always the case. I don't think that that's, um, you know, I don't think that changes because of COVID. Right. Right. I don't think, you know, I think we've always had to build cases for, for cybersecurity. Um, you know, so it's status quo as far as I'm concerned. Revenues are down. Right. right? I think the revenues are down for, for almost everybody, unless you're in a, a select few set of industries. Um, you know, but there are things that, you know, kind of that adage of stopping the bleeding, right? Right. There should be security controls that you're looking at that says like, you know, this, this can stop the bleeding right now, like MFA. Right. Right. You know, and if, if your organization had MFA on the roadmap, all you're really asking is acceleration and pulling it forward, which I think the, you know, is, is completely within, you know, you know, a reasonable business case that could be made about something like MFA, you know, is, is now the time to stand up your super awesome, you know, highly advanced, you know, risk assessment or third-party risk management program, you know, those may be harder, you know, business cases to sell, but I think the, you know, buffing up the immediate defensive posture of your organization and putting more soldiers on the front line mm -hmm. digitally, so to speak, I think those are business cases that, you know, you know, I, I think everybody should be trying vehemently to get across. Now, what would be a recommendation on your side to, if you're going to write a business case right now, what would be some things you'd add into it to make it valuable for the business? Um, so I think, so I've I had a CISO once and I don't know if I've, if I've used this one on your show before or not. So, so, you know, hopefully this is the first time you and your, your listeners are hearing it, but I had a CISO one time and, and got a ton of respect for him. He's now the CISO over at Unilever, uh, right now, it's a fortune 100 company. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And uh, his his statement was, you know, we, you know, we as cybersecurity need to enable the business to take risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I think um, when we look at the way that COVID has changed our ways of working, I think any of the business cases that we put forward need to continue to facilitate, you know, the business to take the risk that they need to, to drive an increase in revenue, especially during COVID. Now, this, that sounds very broad. And obviously, the, the real answer to that can vary by industry to industry, right? If you're, if you're primarily focused on, you know, a sales team that's out there trying to drive new sales up. You know that they're going to be, you know, out in out in you know cities and you know states and you know other parts of the world and the country, continue to drive to drive to drive those sales, hopefully in as safe a fashion as possible. Um, you know, does multi-factor authentication inhibit their ability to take the risk to to do that? I don't think so. And I think you have to just prove how adding multi-factor authentication reduces downtime because um you know you don't have to reset somebody's password every third day because it got compromised right. you know it's worth i think if you can equate that to you know the the cost of lost productivity because of having to respond to you know a password reset event because they got their password compromised um you know i think i think we have to try harder to talk numbers one of the best slides that i ever put together for a cio one time um, I was I was able to. It took me about six months to get all the data for it, but I was able to get all the data to talk about what the real cost of a cybersecurity incident was, and it was everything down to the the cost of our third party contractor to um, to take the ticket, the cost of our um, our IT teams to you know reimage a laptop, the cost of the incident response team to respond to the incident, mm-hmm. you know the the cost of all of the tools that had to be on there for us to be able to facilitate that. And I think it ended up being something like, like 1500, you know, $1,500 per incident, which didn't sound too bad. But when you looked at it across the entire organization, it ended up being that every month we were, you know, we were effectively spending $3 million a month, you know, responding to cybersecurity incidents in that particular organization. And when you put $3 million, $3 million a month on a slide, you know, that really popped in front of, you know, the CIO's eyes and, and really caught the attention of like, well, holy cow, how are we, you know, wasting this much money, um, you know, for, for things like password resets and malware, you know, re, you know, laptop reimages and things like that. And so I right. think we have to do a better job of finding numbers and putting numbers that say every single time I reset your password, it costs the organization $100. And if you do that a thousand times in a month, you know, that's a, that's that's a lot of money, lost revenue, lost productivity. We've got to we've got to get better about doing that. So yeah, you're t- you're talking about quantitative the the your executive summary and your fi- your financial forecasting while you're doing a business case. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. I mean, to be able to, and this is I think uh, one of the benefits to add into when you're actually proposing a solution and you're going in front of the board, is making it clear and concise of what you're your objectives are and how it's going to help the business and how it's going to do that. Right. And a lot of people that make these cases, make them concluded, make them complicated. These guys have two minutes to look over your, your concept, your idea, and they need it needs to be clear and concise of how this is going to help the business. And then what's it going to, what's the risks, what's the compliance, and then what's the cost associated to this. I think also we have a tendency to your point about making them too complicated I think we we focus so hard on talking about how advanced the adversary is, how sophisticated the adversary is, you know, how terrible and bad, and, you know, this, we've got this big bad adversary mentality that's out there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, quite frankly, most people who review these business cases, you know, 
to them, they don't understand an adversary that is a six level of bad versus an adversary that's a 10 level of bad. And so they're not going to approve your business case just simply because you're trying to stop a 10 level of bad versus a six level of bad. Right. To them, bad is bad. And, you know, they just know that you're going to stop bad. And that's really all they care about. And so we need to stop focusing on talking about how bad the adversary is. And to your point, talking about the business enablement that that comes with, you know, you know, you know, the, the, the controls and stuff that we put in place. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's key. I think that's a very key point. Uh, especially when you look at COVID cause like, you know, if you're not thinking that mindset, yeah, you're going to start going, well, you know, our attack vector is so much wider now. Our surface is so much wider. Now these hackers can get any even easier. And you start talking on that side versus, okay, that's fine. I get that. We're vulnerable. We're at risk right now. How, what can we do? Yeah. Right. And I think that kind of, reiterates kind of your point is that that's the conversation they get it they get they're at risk they get the businesses compromised right now because of covid just on business continuity alone don't talk to me about security i already know that our supply chain our employees like everything's at risk right now we're 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 working through it right and we're resolving everything we can we're putting out the fires and now you're bringing this you know infamous hacker in the basement with a hood that's coming after us okay you know, so what, like, I get it. We're, we're at risk. What do we need to do? And I think having that mindset and having that see-through approach that you can see, you know, the board of directors, you can see the CEO, the CFO, the C, CISO, the CIO, whoever you're reporting to, and you're presenting this business case, you got to think in that mindset. And, and I even think that like back to Rod's point, you know, or, you know, his, his question and comment earlier about, you know, decreased revenues and things like this, even inside the security organization, the folks that you have inside the security organization, your business as usual pre COVID may not have been the best way to measure your own effectiveness during COVID. Right. You know, you know, it doesn't take anything right to go to Shodan and put in your, you know, your external IP addresses and see what Shodan has got for your open port. Now, Shodan tells you that you got 50, you know, RDP sessions or RDP uh, ports open to the internet, you know, then your security team has a free vulnerability scan right there showing you that you've got RDP open to the internet. You should be able to go there and assess those RDP connections yourself and then go back to the business and say, are those RDP connections or are those RDP vectors truly needed to, to do your job and to do your role? And at least then you have a, a knowledge of your attack surface You've talked to the business to see what their business enablement requirements are, mm -hmm. and then you can begin to have the conversation with IT to try to lock those down. And right. I think the statistics based around the number of ransomware incidents globally, just due to insecure um, you know, remote desktop protocol on the internet, between all of those things together, you can simply put forth a business case that you know probably costs more manpower than it actually costs dollars to go around to the IT leadership or the executive team to say, we have to secure these these RDP connections, and here's my recommendation on how to do so. Right, which makes sense. Totally makes sense, and then that gives you that stronger business case. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And and you're not talking about spending millions and millions of dollars on Duo or, you know, or you know, heck, if you're an Office 365 um, uh, customer, I think, and, you know, assuming you've got a relatively, you know, if we think about like mid cap, small to medium businesses and mid cap companies where you don't have a whole lot of custom applications, maybe with a lot of um, you know internal single sign-on requirements flipping on you know microsoft multi-factor authentication for things like remote desktop protocol and, and o365 really is actually more of a user experience conversation that you have internally and not a fiscal one right yeah no it totally makes sense right and like you said and, and if you have to, have to customize some of the two-factor authentication you do that right yeah
right? Because I you know, like you said, some people have proprietary applications, you know, different, you know, s- solutions that they might have SaaS models. But doing that again just levels your your security posture. Yeah. I think, I, I with with all due respect to 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 your viewers who are struggling with with revenue, you know, concerns and questions, and I and I empathize with that wholeheartedly. I think if, if that's your go-to without thinking outside the box on how you can get creative in, in either A, doing those implementations or, or B, going and having those conversations with folks, I think you've already, you've already thrown in the towel to the attackers, you know, at that point in time. There's so much that you can do, you know, that, that doesn't require you to go forth with a multi-million dollar business case. Well, I mean, that's some, even some of the conversations that we're having when we're having like security gap assessments is just having, you know, even just initial kind of pro bono conversations that we're having companies and giving them recommendations of what they can do without yeah. us putting an invoice in front of them, without us doing any of that, just having mature conversations. Like I know over the last, I guess, five, six months, the amount of conversation I've had just about security postures and things that they people can implement that I know majority of those people have started to implement some of those, you know, security strategies, whatever that may be, even just reviewing different uh, protocols has been essential to them because a lot of times you go, where do I start? Especially, in, I'm not talking about the mid-range, right? When they're dealing with so much. So I'm going to pivot on you a little bit, just because I I have a, I've had a different experience that okay. that you know, um, you know, and call it call it cynical Neil, you know, and if if you want to, but but I've actually you know seen where you know some folks have gotten so the signal to noise ratio in our industry has gotten to be so bad that whenever I've reached out to folks or I even know some of my peers, you know, who, who also run consulting companies have reached out to folks um, to say, Hey, look, completely free. There's no obligation. Literally. We just want to make sure everybody's doing great during this COVID time period. You know, let's have a conversation. Let me give you some free advice. Let's do a free. I've even offered to do free pen tests, right. you know, for folks, um, you know, as, as part of COVID. And, and I think that the vendor, you know, you know, signal to noise ratio has skyrocketed so much over the last five to, to 10 years. Nobody even wants free help these days. Like I've, I can't even begin to tell you like, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the amount of people who just even shut that down. Cause they're like, Oh no, you're just trying to sell me something. It's like, no, you don't understand. Like we are all banding together here in cybersecurity where we all want everybody to be incredibly safe and secure. We all want to help everybody else out. And I think people are you know, not used to that side of those of us in the community who are just genuinely concerned about the safety of, of everybody's company that, mm-hmm. that they've just tuned out even like free help and free advice. It's, it's, it's amazing how, how we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot as an industry by, by doing some of the things that we've done. Yeah. And I think it, like you said, and, you know, talking to cynical Neil here, uh, I think it is, <laughs> it, it is that mindset is, and don't get me wrong. I get that as well, where people will say, well, what are you selling? Right. Right. What are you doing? Like, I'm not, would it be kind of ridiculous to tell you that I'm not selling a thing? You know, this is consultative. I'm, we're trying to help right now because yeah. we're trying to be, you know, more citizens of the, the economy and our business and our Ontario and Canada and North America and just help where we can. And until you get that person to let down their guard a bit and have that yeah. conversation, then they realize like it's really just that. I mean, this is why, you know, and you and I both do like the podcast. That's one of the reasons why I do the podcast is to help people and give them inf- you know information and just help the industry because there's so much out there. You know, that was why I started Daily Cyber was to have the conversations, what's happening behind the boardroom, right? Where people don't talk about where you have your vendors, your manufacturer talking about, 
all the sales and marketing gimmicks and kind of all the great stuff and we're top of the you know fourth quadrant. But then when you get in the boardroom and they're asking totally different questions. Absolutely. Right. They're asking totally different things like, you know, how does it integrate with this? How is it going to benefit my organization? Why should I be looking at you? Right. Yes, I get you're the top and you're the best. And there's four of you that are top in the top right quadrant quadrant of, of Gardner. I get it. But how does it help me? Company X. You know, how do you reduce my cost? How you actually help me with, you know, care and feed and management? How do you help me with that? And I was like, oh, my God, like I can't like I can't believe how disconnected we are in those conversations. Yeah. And of course, then you have a subject matter expert and a sales engineer and they answer all those questions. But why not tell them up front? Why not tell yeah. them, you know, right from the, the get go? Yeah, the, here's what it is. And this is what it has. You have this solution, this potential, how, how it would work with it. Let's have that conversation around that. Let's yeah. see if there's a there's a possibility that I will work with it and have that conversation versus we're the best in the gardener. We've done this. We've reduced our tax vector by that. Okay, but so what? Like you've you've done that. How's that relate to my specific company? You know, do I need that? Do I need that reduction in, in you know in risk? Do I need that? I don't know. Now you're you're kind of down this whole other rabbit hole. This is why I get back also to to this idea of, of talking to people. You know, it, you know. We in cyber need to talk more money to the board. Right now, I don't think that we talk enough money to the board. To your point, right? The board cares about, you know, the value. I mean, gotta call a spade a spade. The board, regardless of the size of the company, the board just cares about the value to the shareholders. Right. Right. What's the value to the shareholders? Um, I, I worked for a CIO one time, um, and I I'd worked for numerous CIOs in in in, in my history. But this one CIO had actually gave me a statistic that I had never heard any CIO give me ever in my entire career since being out of the military. Excuse me. Um, and he had told me that, uh, you know, out of the the hundred million dollar ish budget that, that IT had for this organization, that that equated to a particular amount of dollar per share price that the market saw for our stock price okay and so every more millions that we invested in the cyber you know decreased that share cost by so much more because of more investment in the cyber which meant less investment into r d or less investment into marketing which meant less value into you know less less revenue basically into the shareholder pockets and when you actually realize that the more money that gets invested into it as a cost center or cybersecurity as a cost center the, the reduced value that gets passed on to the shareholders when you when you take yourself out of that cyber mindset and actually put yourself into that business mindset you realize exactly why we're just a cost center and why nobody takes us seriously because we can't have a conversation around finances because we don't understand the finances right. and I think that's I think that's where we we again find ourselves shooting ourselves in the foot as an industry because we think that by talking about the the, the big bad cyber attackers that are out there waiting to, to, to knock down our door, you know, that that's going to get the board's attention, you know, when we don't really talk on a, on a cost per share or cost per shareholder basis. Right. And I think also on top of it, when you're looking at security is that when you have implementing what I would consider is net new or new technologies, new solutions, the board of directors is, is taking a risk in the sense of, well, do we need this? If it's something they're renewing that they know they've been using, you know, they have a SIM, they have endpoint protection, whatever they know, they know, okay, yeah, we might have to upgrade. There's maintenance, there's licensing. We know all that. We need this. But when it's net new, they have to now trust that they need it. 
So it has yeah. to go of uh, a process of negotiating, uh, also providing the value to them, so they can say, "Yeah, we we trust in this solution that it's going to be the right for for the for the organization." And then when you're looking at, like you said, the board of directors, they they're looking at that. They're looking at future growth. They're looking at profits. They're looking at all that. They then they want to make sure that they trust in that solution. And also, from my side, a lot of them talk. Right. If, oh, yeah, absolutely. If some of them are talking to other companies that are in the same industry, they'll go, are you using this? And in this scenario, what are you using? We're using X, whatever X may be. And I'll just use Splunk, for example, in the background for you. Say they say, yeah, we're looking at this. Right. And we want to use, you know, we're thinking about, you know, some sort of, you know, endpoint protection. We're looking at SIM. We're looking at all that. You know, we're looking at, you know, vulnerability testing. What do you recommend? Well, for one solution, we're using Splunk. Oh, Splunk. Tell me a little bit about how it's working your organization. Now yeah. that organization's asking about it. Now trust if someone recommends Splunk because now Absolutely. they're hearing it. They're hearing it from their colleagues. But if you come out with another solution, Cisco, uh, Fortinet, whatever that may be, they're like, oh, I don't know yet. I haven't heard my colleagues are using Splunk. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is It is very much a good old boy network. I don't even really call it a good old boy network, I guess. They, they do talk. They do want to know, you know, you know, what everybody else is doing that's out there. I, I think one of the hardest things for me to adjust to, you know, when having those, those conversations, right. Is, is they want to know what, what are my peers doing? And what's my competition doing and how, how do I measure against those two entities? Right. Right. Cause then better or my worst. And then what I, I see from that standpoint is if they're using it, then at least they know it works. Yeah. Right. At least. Okay. It's tried. It's tested. People are using it. They've gone through, their proof of concept, they've gone through implementation, they've gone through some sort of care and feed for a certain amount of time, and now it's working. Got it. Okay. And then what was your uptick? You know, what was your implementation? Was it 60 days? Was it 90 days? Was it horrific? Was it painless? Tell me what, what you went through. And then but, that's going to help in their procurement process. I get back to cynical, Neil, on this one a little bit, though, right? Because I think, you know, and, and I and I, I think it's good that, that you know they're talking to their peers in, in the boardroom about that, but I think that that also is still you know indicative of our inability to communicate to the board in a way that that they understand, right? Because you know what's not what I don't imagine that those board members are saying to each other is well, what's been your return on investment by by investing in Splunk, right? right. What's been what's been your cost decrease across your security stack by using Splunk versus you know, you know, all the point products that you've got, you know, what's been, what, how much, how much have you decreased, you know, um, or how much have you, have you increased, you know, productivity because you invested in, you know, carbon black as an endpoint protection product instead of CrowdStrike, mm -hmm. right. Or, or even McAfee, right. Those are the things that I, I think that if you looked at technologies, other technologies that get implemented at the enterprise level, like maybe like a Salesforce or a Workday, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think that they would probably have those conversations for those types of, of implementations. I don't think they're having those conversations in the security space because we haven't communicated that appropriately up to them. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Cause I know for me, like if you're doing an executive summary, you're kind of doing the proposal. If you can provide in more value, like, and I'm just going to use health, the health sector, right? The hospitals are using this and here's recommendations or here's kind of evaluations of other hospitals that are using it successfully. That mm -hmm. adds more value to the board of directors. Absolutely, I, I think I I don't disagree with that at all. What I what I don't think that we're adding to that proposal or any other proposal that we do in in those executive conversations is, you know, it's been proven that if you're migrating from, 
let's say you're doing a proposal for, you know, like a deployment of uh, endpoint protection tool, right? They're migrating off of McAfee and onto an EDR like Carbon Black or, or Sentinel One or something like that. You know, something that says, you know, average hospital size that looks like your hospital, average number of patient records like your number of patient records, average number of endpoints like your endpoints. So just like your your peer comparison that that already recommends this endpoint protection suite, mm-hmm. we have seen a 60% increase in productivity because of these features that EDR brings versus, you know, McAfee, which you currently have in there. Um, I, I don't think those are, we're having enough of those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know a lot of times that would have to come through either a VAR, right, that's collecting yeah. that data or the manufacturer that's collecting that information, that data, then be able to relay that. Because um, we get back to the other side of cybersecurity, which is we're not always transparent about the things that, you know, are going on in our industry because we're worried about competition and looking stupid and lawsuits and things like that. <laughs> I laugh because you say looking stupid. It's kind of funny. Like. It is. And it's, you know, you don't want, you don't want to be that guy that's got popped, right? You don't want to be that guy. And I get it. Like, trust me, like I I have total respect for the guys that have dealt with that, have been the guys at the top or senior level and their companies got popped and they got hacked and compromised and they're now the lights on them. I have totally respect for them. I have total sympathy and empathy for what they have to go through to be able to resolve that because there's so much pressure at that time, right? And to be able to handle that and, and be able to walk away from it by at the end with your, you know, not having a nervous breakdown going, oh my God, like that just <laughs> sucked, right? Like like that was not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. But as you know, like being in the industry, you hear the the horror stories where it's like, you know, they get popped and it's two, three months of remediation and, and trying to figure out forensics investigation. You know, you got, you know, PR like all different avenues of it that, that they're just working through and it's like 24 seven. I've been in that hot seat before where, you know, you know, it, it happens and you know, you're, you're two briefings a day with the CEO and you know, you're in the, the, the boardroom and this was, this wasn't for an SMB or a mid market. This is a fortune 100 company. And, and you're sitting in, you know, you're sitting in that, that senior most, you know, chair with, with those guys trying to, to explain to them, you know, a, what happened and what you're doing to, to make sure that you don't end up in the, in the headlines of the news. And, and, you know, it, I can tell you, it doesn't matter how much you train for it. You're never ready for it. Right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most stressful situations people go through. hundred percent, hundred percent. I think we had a, we had um, a CISO on, on my stream a couple of weeks ago and, and, and I asked him who we were talking about the, we were talking about the Uber, CISO, right? And just to level set, right? The Uber CISO had a couple hackers who hacked into Uber and and dropped a couple hundred thousand, you know, pieces of personal information. And then the Uber CISO tried to cover it up by saying, you know, paying them a hundred thousand dollars and claiming that was part of their bug bounty program when in fact it wasn't. They were, it was data ex, you know, extortion. Right. And, and I think the question that we, we posed to our guests during our stream really was like, I mean, if we were to give the CISO the benefit of the doubt and say like, well, you know, it's middle of an incident couple hundred thousand records are about to be exposed all over the internet. Somebody's asking you for a hundred thousand dollars. Is that just like a lack of judgment? Did you just, you know, have, you know, just a moment of weakness where you had to make a decision on the spot and what is it like to be in that hot scene? And, and yeah, I mean, you talk to any CISO that that's ever had to deal with that. And, you know, you're, you're in, 
you're in that fight or flight mentality. I think is actually the words that he used on on the stream, which is you're in that fight or flight mentality where you're trying to decide like what exactly is it that you're gonna you're gonna do or say or, or act in in the middle of that incident. I don't think people are, you know. I, I'm a huge fan of tabletops. I'm a huge fan of disaster recovery drills and crisis management activities and things like that. Um, practice them. I don't think anybody's ever as prepared as, as they think they could be from those activities. Right. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you, you, you do the training. I mean, I had a conversation this morning and we we're talking about training and just kind of working out. You train so hard, right? And you make it so stressful. So, uh, real world situation so when it actually does happen you're as, as prepared as possible yeah right and i mean i know for myself to being in martial arts as well as you know training in physical security uh, for the skydome some of our scenarios you'd we'd make them so real that by the time you're done i mean the debriefing was maybe a couple hours of debriefing yeah. but it was really like oh my god like i couldn't believe that could happen right i couldn't believe that situation and then what happens is at least now you have the debriefing, you've wrote out different plans, you've modified everything, you've got more of a response and engagement. You know better how to deal with it and yeah. going through it. And then, yeah, you just keep doing those and you keep doing that. And then eventually, you know, knock on one, you don't, but eventually if you do get popped, then at least you're somewhat prepared. Yeah. You want it to be as much muscle memory as possible. Right. You, you want to you strive for muscle memory. But yeah, it's, it's you know, you know, it, there's a lot of things that you can't prepare for. Right. No, yeah. so true. Now, I don't know if anyone else has any questions. I know uh, Neil and I have just been kind of talking about like everything that's been going on in the industry. Uh, comment below. Uh, we're going to be here for a little bit. Thanks, Rod, so much for your comments. So, Neil, before we end off, I mean, we've been talking for, it seems like time flies when we, 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 we get going. Dude, you and I have the greatest conversations. <laughs> <laughs> what's one recommendation you would recommend companies look at today? Like if you were going to say, okay, you know, we finished this podcast. If you've been listening to it up to this point, I'd recommend you go do this right now. External attack surface. Like I, I think, I think if you're, I think if you're hearing this right now, if you're looking for, if you're looking for a to do, make sure you understand your external attack surface, make sure you understand all of the points of entry that are currently facing, you know, the attackers right now. And, 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 you know, just understand what the size of that attack surface is. I won't even say understand like all the ways that an attacker can get in because I even think that's pretty monumental. But I think if you started with just understanding just how much attack surface you have out there, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think that that's a great place to start. Um, you know, I, I think and and I think that that can be pretty daunting for a lot of folks to to understand, and 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 that's why they're you know. There's just tons of people out there who are willing to help you understand how big your attack surface is. Um, but you can't protect what you don't know about. Um, and, and with everybody working the ways of working that we're working right now because of COVID, um, you can't afford not to understand how much of your, your company is currently exposed to attackers out there. No, I totally agree. And I think one thing I'd add on to that is it doesn't matter what size you are either. Right. I know right. smaller, smaller organizations, all that, you got to evaluate this now. You got to assess it and at least have a snapshot, you know, have a plan of action, have a roadmap in place, kind of have that, you know, first baseline. Okay. This is what we see. This is where we are right now, our, our kind of exposure and where our risks are and then start drawing out a roadmap. I'm not saying you have to do everything right now, but at least you know where everything is and what's going on. And then what happens is then you have to rank it in criticality. 
You know, Absolutely. If it's something like, you know, you're in a cloud and all your your confidential IPO data is out in the cloud right now and you're at risk, you got to lock that down. That'd be high, you know, you know, high, high critical in your kind of list now versus maybe you have some marketing material that it's old marketing material that was since, you know, 2001. That's going to be low. If it gets compromised, probably already out. Doesn't it's not that big a deal. But like you got to start to rank that. You got to start to do that and then start to take action to it because, the more conversations I'm having about people that are working on it, and I put in quotations, the challenge is, is that, you know, what's your timelines? What are you really doing? Like, are you working on this year, you know, yeah. by the end of 2000 and, you know, 2020? Got it. But you're saying I'm working on it soon, you know, by the end of 2021. Yeah, that's not good for your, your security. And potentially if you get, you know, hacked, there's so many things going on right now. Uh, I was talking to someone uh, was last week. And they were talking about some new Ohio. And I don't know if you heard about this, Neil. Ohio, as well as New York, now have, uh, I guess, laws in place that if you get breached now, the fines now are, are starting to become huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got some I've got some cynical you know, comments on that as, as well as we've seen out of British Airways, right, where they, they started $128 million and settled at, what, Eighty million or whatever it was, right? Twenty million or whatever it was for their fine, but yeah, there's some states that are starting to lock things down. You know, but you when look, it comes to- but you look at that. How many companies can afford that? And like you look at the big, large organizations and corporate, it sucks for them. But you know, when they look at their their costs for that insurance and that, they they don't negotiate to a point where they can afford it. But if you got like a, a mid sized company and it's one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars, it could close them right down. Well, but this is this is also why I say like the second piece to to this right is, is having a partner you can trust, right? right? And, and I think you and I would both you know agree with this, right? Is you know call you know have a, have somebody that you can pick up the phone and talk to, not somebody that's going to charge you know nickel and dime you you know every time you pick up a call and, and, and make a request, but you know have a have a consultative partner that that you can pick up the phone and be like, should I be worried about this thing that happened in the news? How does this impact me? How does this affect me? Um, you know, you know, Neil, Brandon, you know, partner here, right? You know, I've got these people telling me these ten different things, but I don't know where to start. Where do we start? You need a, you need to have that partner, especially in this day and age. Right, for sure. Now, Rod made a comment. He said, "Hmm, ethics are are simply that you, you can't buy your reputation." Right. And I totally agree. I, I totally agree totally with agree. that. And the yeah, the thing absolutely. is, I think I want to add to that with with Rod's point is. Some people don't understand how valuable the reputation is. Yeah. Right. And how much it actually costs. Even at the senior level, when they're like, oh, we got breached, don't worry about it. They don't realize that that breach can go on in the reputation of your brand for months, for even six months to one year, where now you've lost revenue, lost in shares, you have kind of your degree and value in the market. And now, yeah, maybe it'd be in a breach. It cost you maybe, and I'm just using numbers here, say $100,000. But the revenue on top of that could be in the millions because of the decrease of people now trusting you with credit card information, purchasing from you. Now it's like, how much did it really cost you? So so I'm, I'll be a little cynical on you. I know we're at the top of the hour, so if we got to wrap up, then I won't go down this tangent. But, you know, you know, if you, I think we're, I think we're a little, um, I think we're a little skewed on that perspective as an industry because if you look at Target, right? Target only took a one quarter hit after their breach in in, in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then they rebound right back, you know, and they're 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 racking in record 
you know, quarter numbers right now from a target perspective and, and Anthem and Home Depot and, you know, insert company here, I think have, have proven that they can, they can take hits to their reputation. I don't think what we have enough data points for because it doesn't show up on a lot of news, you know, um, you know, or insurance, you know, st- stat sheets is what's the reputation hit to your local pizza shop, you know, because they got popped with ransomware or, you know, some of the, some of the, the small, you know, the, the SMB or mid markets, mm-hmm. you know, that don't get nearly the, the visibility. I don't think we have the numbers to understand what the reputation hit is to them, but I think some of the larger fortune companies have pro- proven that they can stay in business even, at, you know, even after a breach. And I agree with you. That's why my, my point is around the SMB mid-sized tier that when they lose revenue, they lose, they actually are breached, they lose their brand reputation and they lose revenue, all that combination, kind of like the yeah. trifecta, those ones are the ones that have such a hard time with it. And I agree with you, the ones that have larger brands that can recover with PR and marketing and yeah. you know implementing new security strategies and solutions immediately, I mean, sometimes they have to transition their, their team. And you know, you've heard sometimes that the CISO gets fired, like Zoom. Right. Immediately they hired a new CISO. Right. Absolutely. And they got someone in place and they started to ramp up and their Twitter right after their July hack right. hired a new CISO. Right. So you see that constantly. Right. Where they reevaluate and they go. But then they're back up. I totally agree yeah. with that. My yeah. concern is you guys that are mid tier, you know, mid sized companies, smaller, they can't do that. Right. They don't have that flexibility, don't have that ability to transition so quickly you have to work twice as hard as the large yeah. organizations to do that, to maintain that barren reputation and be able to do that versus the larger ones can take a little bit more of a hit and recover because they have that, I guess, you know, flexibility to be able to do that. And don't get me wrong. They don't want to do that, but no. they have that, that they can, right. They have that room to be able to maneuver where smaller, small to mid-sized companies don't have that much room. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Completely agree. So perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Neil. This is awesome. Always, always. Thanks for having me, Brandon. I know we always kind of go into these deep conversations and, and about <laughs> security and all that. And I hope, you know, everyone that's watching this gets a lot of value. Uh, again, if you guys want to contact Neil, what's the best way to contact you? Um, hit me up on, uh, on Twitter at it junkie. Um, and, and, uh, and then don't forget to check out the, the cyber and security stream over on Twitch. Yeah. And you have that how many days a week? Uh, so we're, we're doing, uh, every Monday, Wednesday and, and Saturday, but, Splunk, uh, Splunk's annual.com starts today. And so literally as soon as I get off the stream with you, I'm going to head over to my stream and we're actually going to be broadcasting um, uh, Boss of the Sock, which is a you know security operations-based uh, capture the flag um, for the rest of the day today. Um, and then tomorrow, we're going to, tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going to be broadcasting um, kind of a, um, a, you know, analysis, de-analysis, if you will, over some of the talks that are happening at .com where... We're going to highlight a talk and then we're going to watch the talk as a, as a stream. And then we'll debrief after that, that, that talk and talk about the impacts of the industry, what it means, answer some Q and A's and things like that, um, uh, you know, for this. So typically every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, um, you know, the next three days will be special because we're doing, you know, something for, for Splunk's conference. But, um, you know, other than that, we've got some, some amazing folks coming on the stream. We've got a recruiter coming in this weekend to answer some very specific uh, career questions and salary questions and, um, you know, we've got, uh, Rob Lee from Dragos, um, nice. if anybody, if we've got him coming on on November 7th, um, as we do a special broadcast for secure West Virginia. So, um, lots of cool stuff happening in the future. That's awesome. So guys, check that out. Uh, Neil, again, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. 
So guys, that's another uh, Daily Cyber. I hope you got a lot of great information, especially talking about what's going on with COVID, some planning, you know, what to look at, some strategizing when it comes to cybersecurity, your business, your business continuity and different planning. Uh, again, reach out to Neil if you have any questions. Also, you can contact me. Uh, we're doing whatever we can to help uh, all companies across you know, the world, doesn't matter where you are, to just stay secure and stay safe through this pandemic. So, so I want to leave you off with this. Don't forget, software's hackle. Being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.